uh, change uh, for the what you just discussed with the previous guest, the semiconductor uh, production chain and uh, the, also the chip industry. Uh, so that uh, I think Chinese uh, uh, industry is still lag behind mm -hmm. uh, from the U.S. Uh, chip industry in that respect. Okay, yeah, and sadly we've run yeah. out of time. But thank you very much. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. That's Yan Wu. That's Yan Wu, who is chairman of Zhengrong Bao. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio Three. Let's take a final look around Asia-Pacific stock markets for this morning. In Australia, the SX200 is off a quarter of a percent. Uh, the Nikkei 225 sliding further, down 0.7% now. The Cosby in South Korea off half a percent. Looks like the Hang Seng uh, is going to open about 260 points lower or so later on this morning. Thank you very much for listening. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock, as usual. Coming up after the news, back chats with Jim Gould and Mike Rouse. Let me give you an update on the weather forecast for today. Uh, mainly cloudy and foggy, one or two rain patches. Sunny intervals during the day. The maximum temperature going to be around 25 degrees. And then the outlook is for winds to strengthen from the north. And temperatures are going to fall appreciably tomorrow. It's going to be rather cool on Wednesday morning. Temperature right now is 21 degrees and it's 97% relative humidity. Times 8.31, here's Barry O'Rourke with the half-hour news. More than 33,000 people are now confirmed to have died in the earthquakes that struck Turkey and Syria. The number keeps rising as bodies are recovered from ruined buildings. Rescuers are still finding more survivors almost a week after the disaster. The United Nations aid chief has said the people of northwest Syria are right to feel they've been abandoned in the aftermath of the earthquakes. Martin Griffiths said this failure must be corrected as fast as possible. Manal Arkabutli lives in the Syrian town of Al-Ataribe in Idlib province. There is a lack of equipment. It is not impossible to remove the rubble, okay? But it takes us too long to remove it. The people die and we cannot reach them in the proper time. Other countries in the outside standing and looking and watching us dying without doing anything. Why are they ignoring our pain? Meanwhile, another UN aid convoy has crossed into rebel-held northwest Syria, but the aid workers say much more is needed. The Monetary Authority Deputy Chief Executive Daryl Chan says the Middle East is interested in expanding into the Hong Kong market as the region looks to increase its investment in Asia. Mr Chan said he'd met representatives of various financial organisations during his trip to Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates last week, along with government officials. We saw considerable interest in how Hong Kong can help with their financing or help them with their investment decisions or strategies in future. They feel increasingly that Asia will be a rather important market in future, be it the source of financing or for investment purposes. So I think it's a good opportunity. Mr Chan said the Monetary Authority is planning another visit to the Middle East in the coming months to hold further talks with central banks in the region. The artificial intelligence chatbot ChatGPT was released two months ago and it's become a worldwide sensation for its ability to make comments and give answers on just about any topic. Kinney Mew, the founder and lead engineer of MindLayer, a company building AI-powered chatbots customer service, says he's concerned that businesses here are too cautious to make the most out of the technology. 
most of the clients that we work together, they are very afraid of this kind of generative model. I'm not specific about ChatGPT because ChatGPT is one of the many generative models. The generative model means a model you can generate uh, text okay, by itself. It's not controlled by the, by the programmer, but, but itself can generate uh, free text forms, these kind of things. From my perspective, I think uh, other companies, maybe in the U.S., they're more open to this kind of uh, tools. They, they can take that risk. They can use those kind of generative models to let the model itself to generate the content without considering too much about the restriction. We'll have more news on the hour from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Jim McGould and your guest presenter is Mike Rouse. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Jim. On today's programme, we're looking at the prospects for closer economic ties with the Middle East, following Chief Executive John Lee's trip to Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates last week. Wrapping up his visit on Friday, Mr Lee said developments boded well for future cooperation between Hong Kong and the Gulf nations. Officials had signed 13 memoranda of understanding or letters of intent on cooperation covering areas such as innovation and technology, business professional services and logistics. What impact will this bring to Hong Kong's economy? Which sectors could benefit most? How will it help with green and sustainable financing? And what about geopolitical tensions and rivalry between China and the US? After 9.15, we're talking about the Oxfam Trailwalker, Hong Kong's largest annual running and hiking fundraiser event, which is taking place this month after being suspended for three years because of the pandemic. Let us know what you think on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3, or you can email us at backchat at rthk.hk, or you can give us a call on 233-88266. And we're joined now by two guests for our main topic this morning, and they are Gary Ung, a senior economist with uh, Natixis, and Rita Lee, an associate professor at uh, Hong Kong Shuyan University's Department of Economics and Finance. Um, good morning to you both. Um, uh, perhaps, uh, Rita Lee, we can come to you first. Good morning. Morning. Thanks for joining us. Um, so, um, lots of optimistic statements. We've also heard uh, from Daryl Chan of the Monetary Authority saying uh, uh, Middle East uh, entities interested in expanding into the Hong Kong market. I mean, how important uh, could the Middle East be uh, potentially for Hong Kong economically? Well, uh, actually, for Hong Kong's principal trading partners in, say, for instance, in 2022, uh, Saudi Arabia actually, uh, for the United Arab uh, Emirates, for example, it ranked 12. And then uh, for other places, like, for example, uh, rank number one is like mainland, uh, two is like Taiwan, and then three is the United States. Uh, but because of the pleasant moment that you can see that actually the uh, the tension between uh, China and also the United States, and therefore uh, actually expansion to Saudi Arabia has bring, has actually got some of the positive uh, signal to the market that uh, we may have got some other trading partners that they can uh, uh, increase their uh, uh, their trading business with Hong Kong. Uh, good morning, Ms. Lee. Uh, I'm interested in the part you just touched on which is a sort of a geostrategic um, aspect. That is, uh, as we know, our president, Xi Jinping, was in Saudi Arabia, I think, was it December? And uh, John Lee has followed up uh, and now. 
um, and there's talk of uh, mainland being able to buy its oil, maybe uh, specified in, in renminbi rather than U.S. dollar. Do you, can you see anything movement in that area? Well, actually, this kind of the movement, movement was uh, actually mentioned many times before because uh, uh, the, uh, the fact of uh, like what I've mentioned about the tension between the different uh, between the uh, United States and also some other uh, maybe European-sized countries that they that we have observed, and then uh, actually for the LMB for which, uh, for uh, for which like it will try to like gain more. Uh, gain a higher position in the whole world in terms of like uh, settlement in the payments, uh, that kind of things. That it may be uh, what we have seen is that uh, this is also one of the one of the strategic issue actually. Yes. To what extent do you think uh, the chief executive's visit was tangible, and to what extent was it aspirational, if I can put it like that? Well, uh, actually, according to the like, for example, the uh, according to the news in Saudi Arabia, for example. Uh, it has mentioned that there is a uh, there is like some kind of like a memorandum of understanding that was signed between like Hong Kong Trade Department between uh, Dubai Chamber, uh, Ho and Partners uh, Architects, and also some uh, Master City and then uh, Catalyst and then Hong Kong Science and Technology Parts uh, Corporation, etc. So uh, this kind of things that it just uh, tell us that uh, there may be some kind of like at least that we have started some kind of like trading some kind of the business that it may be like uh, just give some of the direction to the uh, uh, to both sides where we may have got more and more partnership and then businesses so I would just say it's just like opening the door to uh, the trading business uh, between both right okay uh, Gary Ern, good morning to you um, good morning uh, thanks for joining us so, so would you now be expecting uh, Middle East interests to start uh, thinking about shifting some of their investments uh, away from the US or, or Europe towards this part of the world you know as a way of sort of you know, uh, managing risks amid the um, the current geopolitical situation so indeed I think uh, when I also talk to some of the Middle East counterparts there are two things that they usually care the most the first is that of course because of this massive energy or export and receipt. So they would be interested in, you know, thinking where to invest their money. So in the past, I think, 10 to 20 years, we have seen this inflows of money uh, from the Middle East to the U.S., to Europe, etc. But you are correct in a way that definitely there's more talks about, you know, whether they want to invest uh, further into other areas, such as in Asia, because uh, the growth potential is simply different. And then one of the aims that they want to, you know, uh, invest is really to diversify the risk that uh, they have right now. So definitely I think uh, Asia and Hong Kong definitely has a role to um, play here. But of course, whether Hong Kong can compete with, you know, some of the other uh, competitors, such as Singapore in the region, it will really depend on, you know, whether these firms or the banks can uh, provide the right opportunities to attract this uh, fund to um, uh, come to Hong Kong. So definitely there's more room for development for sure. Right. I noticed that the uh, Aramco have suddenly put some money into golf tournaments in Hong Kong. Is that a straw in the wind, do you think? <laughs> I think um, definitely it is one of the key um, attention that the world, or, or especially for Hong Kong, which is like placing. I think since the very beginning, Aramco 
they um, have the chance to choose whether they want to listen to the U.S., listen to Hong Kong or Europe. But at the end of the day, if you think of all the geopolitical risks that they have been facing, they decide that, well, maybe it's the best that I just list in my own market, which is what is happening right now. So I think for uh, any further development to um, happen, um, I think, it, it, I mean, basically Hong Kong needs to, uh, you know, provide a greater incentive to attract this massive firm to uh, come because it's, of course, it's a big boost for Hong Kong, but it's also a big change for Aramco as well, which need to balance the interest, you know, between uh, uh, well, US or, or basically China as well, because it's basically the two largest, um, like, uh, stakeholders that uh, may have with the Southeast economy. So I think this is definitely one of the biggest uh, topics to look at, but so far I haven't seen really, um, you know, very big development. Right, it's, it's not tangible yet, it's aspirational. To, to go back to my own terminology, these economies, uh, Saudi Arabia, UAE, and so on, in that part of the world, uh, they're very interested in diversifying from oil, aren't they? Uh, they're trying to, to get a long-term perspective and recognizing that maybe the oil era will, will eventually fade away. Well, exactly. I think, uh, of course, uh, we have talked about finance a few minutes ago, but the other angle that they always look at is, you know, how to diversify beyond uh, how to uh, invest in culture. So um, I think uh, the few key areas that I've heard from them is that uh, obviously the green transition is uh, quite important. They're trying to divert from oil, but at the same time, they also want to build an infrastructure in turning itself into a logistic hub uh, between uh, Europe and Asia. And at the end of the day, beyond this, they also uh, have a quite a strong interest in tech and innovation. So, of course, uh, it seems to me that it's an area that, you know, all governments around the world are focusing on. But still, it seems to me that it is one of the key priorities that they want to do because I think uh, definitely if there's any replacement to oil from the green transition, it is indeed something quite risky to all these um, uh, uh, like economies in the Middle East. I was seen looking at the evening weather forecast from around the world, which we, we do in Hong Kong and, of course, the big stations CNN and BBC do, Saudi would seem to be an obvious place for lots of solar energy and in addition to, in the short term, hydrocarbons. China's very big in solar, isn't it? Developing solar, yeah, yeah. Yes, indeed. I think uh, if we look at the global uh, solar panel export, China is definitely by far the biggest exporter, forming 85% of market share. So, um, of course, I mean, Saudi does have a lot of uh, like space and also uh, like uh, they, they, they basically um, the, the, like, well, the area that they can actually put all these solar panels, etc. And of course, there are different challenges because it's like desert and, and things. But that also opened opportunities that, uh, well, there's land and also there's the motivation to switch to green energy there then, well, I mean, it, of course, needs the infrastructure to make it happen. So I think this is really one of the uh, biggest, uh, uh, like, uh, projects that it has been uh, working on around the Middle East area. So, um, uh, I mean, for Hong Kong, I don't think Hong Kong can produce any solar panels. But at least from the financing point of view, maybe, right. maybe it can play a part eventually. And putting the contracts together for this, because um, that's what we do. We do business services. Uh, Professor Lee, I wonder if I could bring you in on, on this aspect. MOUs and so on, they're bits of paper, but are they a useful part of the softening up process? Well, um, actually for the MOU, <laughs> that kind of the papers, uh, I would just say that uh, uh, I, uh, it has got some kind of a signal to the market, but 
uh, whether or not that what kind of the uh, what kind of uh, what what kind of the benefits it brings uh, out of this MOU, uh, we have to uh, look closer to what are these uh, MOU. Because they uh, by the time you read all the newspapers online, uh, no matter if the news from the Saudi Arabia or like mainland or like Hong Kong, uh, they actually give us some of the details, a bit details about the memorandum. So uh, for Saudi Arabia, one the Arabia uh, the Arab news, for example, that they have mentioned about like uh, four uh, detail, uh, four uh, uh, contents about the MOU, and then uh, for Hong Kong one, I have seen that they have mentioned about the Cyberport and also Dubai Future Foundation, and then other than that, we actually need a bit more information, and then actually if these information can be released to the market, that may be even better because uh, it can provide, uh, it may be uh, attract some of the new uh, innovative idea about how we can collaborate between the two countries. Right, so they, these kind of MOUs set the scene, but what counts is when businessmen talk to other businessmen and, and do something. Uh, we actually need a bit more detail, actually. So uh, a lot of them, that uh, they are quite good in the sense that, in particular, when we know that yeah, UAE has got a very good uh, development in those like cutting-edge technology, but then they want to sell somewhere else. And then uh, one of them, uh, uh, one of the uh, MOU actually, actually was uh, aimed to build some strategic relationship between the uh, China and also UAE uh, based on some trading uh, for these like, cutting-edge technology. And then uh, some of them, they have also mentioned about like uh, fintech and fundamental uh, stuff that we have mentioned just now. And so as like, uh, actually everybody knows that uh, Dubai side, for example, and so as other UAE countries that they have got, they have running out of oil uh, more than 14 years ago, actually, dating back many years ago already. So that uh, actually they are, they have done a lot of like different, uh, different projects, uh, including like, for example, those like building technology, you can see that actually the fantastic buildings are actually you can find the most expensive one that uh, situated in Dubai and also some of the UAE countries. And that kind of technology, I guess that they have got some kind, uh, they have got some thoughts to expand their arms to like highly density, uh, highly density but, uh, populated cities like Hong Kong and also somewhere else in China, and where Hong Kong actually can open the door for them to uh, uh, to come to China as well. So, what are the sort of sectors of uh, the Hong Kong economy that could benefit from a closer cooperation with the Middle East? Well, I think that, uh, 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 like, for example, the, uh, the, the one that I've mentioned that's about those like, smart cities one and also, like, architects firm, mm. and so as, like, um, uh, like finance side, because actually they need, they, they have got a lot of projects, and of course that they would like to get some more money from different parts of the stock markets in the world, and for which, like, Hong Kong, that uh, uh, is still, like, uh, Top three in the in the in the whole world in terms of the financial market. So that actually, therefore, uh, there may be some kind of uh, uh, trading business uh, in terms of like uh, finance. Uh, uh, maybe even for environmental side because they have done a lot of project on that uh, on that R and D. But then they actually need some more trading partner, some business partner that can sell the products out. So uh, this may be some kind of the collaboration that may exist. And then for Hong Kong one, we can also attract some of these companies to set up their office in, uh, in Hong Kong so as to uh, replace some of the uh, U.S. companies that they have left uh, Hong Kong some time ago. Right. Mr. Ng, how about time scale here? When can we expect to see uh, some sort of substantive, tangible growth, do you think? Well, it 
is indeed quite a difficult question because I think as we have discussed um, right now, most of this agreement and also uh, basically all these meetings are really uh, setting up like this thing behind and it's really about the direction. So of course, if we look at something that can be, uh, you know, uh, more tangible, which is what Hong Kong is good at in finance, which can be both from the investment side to offer checking some of its funds to set up offices in Hong Kong, etc. Those can be a bit quicker because, uh, I mean, money are quite mobile nowadays. So if we actually can see more cooperation, then maybe we can see a closer linkage in the next one to two years already. However, if we are talking about something more from the infrastructure point of view, for example, um, like in Middle East, they're building uh, one of the largest uh, new uh, airport around the world or in terms of green transition. I think these are some of the things that Hong Kong may not be traditional that uh, great from the very beginning. So firms will need more time to assess the opportunity. So this type of linkage may only come, uh, you know, in, in the next five, uh, three to five years if the government actually uh, uh, like have a like policy that are constructive enough. So I think um, definitely there are more opportunities, but there's also some kind of discrepancy between, uh, you know, what Hong Kong can gain right now and also in the future. Would you expect uh, TDC and Invest Hong Kong to be more active in these countries now that Chief Executive's been there? Um, yes, definitely. Oh, I think, of course, they uh, pretty much have stopped most of the activity in the last three years because of COVID, and now it's probably time to actually get Hong Kong back to the scene. So uh, TDC is actually one of the uh, most important organizations for Hong Kong to actually um, expand this type of ties, at least, you know, uh, officially. But I think it also depends on, you know, uh, uh, traditionally Hong Kong has been quite good at, you know, interacting with Europe, with US, or some of the other economy. So it will also be a challenge for the TDC to actually know how to navigate through this uh, current in Middle East because a lot of business norm may be different, the cultural norm may be different. So it's of course uh, something that is quite new for uh, Hong Kong as an economy as a whole because of this um, like uh, ongoing reliance that Hong Kong has on China and the uh, developed world in the uh, past, uh, I, I would say, three to four decades. So uh, yes, it will play an important part and we're looking forward to see more events or basically more, you know, uh, different higher-level talks uh, between the government uh, on, uh, and also on the business level from that. So there's a bit of a learning curve here for our own officials, whether they're in the government or in uh, official bodies. Yes, yes, exactly. Because I think it is indeed quite different, even if we look at the, uh, from the financial point of view, that uh, there's like the term of Islamic finance, which, I mean, some of the concept may be quite like similar to the rest of the world because it's still finance at the end of the day. But it's actually quite different when it comes to, you know, the practical point of view. So if Hong Kong really wants to tap on this market, definitely it will need, uh, you know, a more knowledge in this market in understanding the difference uh, versus uh, the rest. But we have been down this road before, haven't we? I mean, we've, we've talked about is things that bonds, for example, that are compatible with, uh, the, with Islam, the, the religion in the sense that you, you can't charge interest. You have to uh, be taking a share of the profit. <coughs> so um, yes, indeed. I think, uh, at least from the uh, Hong Kong perspective, uh, I think most of this transition right now may probably go a bit more to Singapore because uh, it's uh, basically more diversified over there. So, so definitely, even if there are opportunities between Hong Kong and the Middle East, it doesn't mean there's not other competitors. So you're completely right in that sense that I think in Hong Kong it has been a uh, like a topic before, but whether uh, like company or banks actually push it forward, I think there's also um, another question about that. Mm.
Let's ask uh, Rita Lee about that as well. What about the the potential for Islamic finance? I mean, we, we have issued uh, Islamic bonds uh, here already. Um, um, is is it a kind of um, a complex issue? Um, will it, will it require? Will we need to sort of look at uh, changing some laws going forward? Well, uh, Islamic finance is actually different, uh, quite different from the rest of the world, including like, the financial system that we have got in Hong Kong. So, uh, if we uh, uh, if we talk about like uh, those uh, uh, those existence of the like, Islamic finance, and if we talk about those uh, laws, etc., and then uh, like paying and also charging interest, like uh, for some some of the uh, prohibited activities, uh, speculation, uncertain risk, these sort of things that they have got quite different as compared to Hong Kong. So that's why that by the time when we talk about like uh for example uh trying to like um uh, if they if they want to like uh try to uh get some chance to like for example to lease their population et cetera or like get some other financial sources in Hong Kong, I think that there is some kind of um uh, uh some some time that is needed in terms of like understanding uh the differences between the both sides right. Yeah, ap- apart from the Arab world, um, how about Israel? Is it time that maybe for uh, is it too soon for an official visit by the chief executive? Uh, I don't think that it's like too soon. Uh, actually, it is a like, good time, especially after the uh, COVID. Then uh, we, uh, if uh, like for example, chief executive is on the newspaper, then uh, everyone will know. So that 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 actually gives a signal to the market more than uh, what exactly the. Uh, uh, more than what exactly those like uh, for example at the very beginning like what kind of things that it can be done so um, actually I think it is uh, giving a signal to the market that well uh, uh, Hong Kong's uh, uh, Hong Kong's COVID is like over and then uh, the kind of like trading business activities that like, we have got a lot of like different aspects which which would be possible like for example if we talk about like Islamic finance and also Hong Kong financial system is different so if that's the case why not we have got some kind Kind of the business firms that it, that it can provide this kind of the service, and then are uh, trying to solve the problem that we have mentioned like this. So I think all kind of the uh, I I think it is not uh, uh, it is not too soon, but then I think it is an appropriate time to do that. Right, because uh, Israel, of course, is actually the Israeli presence in Hong Kong is very substantial. I remember even twenty years ago, over a hundred members of the Israel Chamber of Commerce here, and of course they tend to do things in a, a relatively low-profile way. So I think there's probably lots of opportunities there for, for further growth. Yeah, I think so, because there are so much things that is different. Actually, a lot of circumstances when we talk about collaboration, it is not because they are the same. So if they are the same in every aspect, we may not have any collaboration at all. However, if there is like... They are different. Like for example, uh, like for example, how they manage the finance, and then uh, like for example, when we talk about like the the oil that uh, the oil facilities and so as like the fantastic buildings that we have seen, uh, these kind of things that uh, they uh, they may be uh, they, there may be some kind of opportunities uh, right. uh, for that. So uh, the kind of collaboration that usually rests on like. Um, some kind of things that we have got, uh, we have got like uh, merits and also we have got some uh, shortcomings so that we have to collaborate. I remember we, in Invest Hong Kong, we appointed uh, a consultant in Israel and I used to visit almost every year. Just, yeah, just for the benefit of the listeners, anybody who doesn't know, Mike is the former Director General of Invest Hong Kong. 
Yeah, it was uh, we we also had an agent in the uh, UAE, um, mm-hmm. so we would combine UAE with India actually, um, because a lot of the executives in the UAE are in fact from India, mm-hmm. um, and and senior ones too. Mm-hmm. So uh, mm-hmm. you you sort of. Uh, they know each other. They know each other very well. Okay, okay very good. Uh, uh, Gary Young, how about that? Uh, uh, potential for uh, more cooperation with uh, Israel? Um, yes, definitely. I think it does <coughs> open a new door. But, mm. I mean, if you talk about whether there's any huge growth or impact, I don't think so because it's still too small compared to many uh, traditional markets that uh, we have here in Hong Kong. However, I think one of the biggest uh, point that Hong Kong can cooperate and learn from Israel is really from the startup scene because uh, definitely it's one of the most uh, 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 like um, uh, vibrant innovation hub um, in the world and then it has actually more uh, startup per capita um, per uh, basically all the country around the world. So I think for Hong Kong um, it has been quite uh, like a, a massive talk in terms of how to uh, boost startup or how to encourage their more uh, technological uh, development like collaboration uh, between different uh, stakeholders corporate, etc. So I think this is one of the things that I think Hong Kong can uh, actually learn from uh, uh, Israel and open the door for further, you know, uh, cooperation. It's a very, as you mentioned, it's a very vibrant startup environment there. Um, and world leading in various aspects of technology. Yes, exactly. I think especially for Israel, of course, they do have like a quite a, um, a, a, like a worldwide market. Uh, I mean, Hong Kong is definitely not the only one, but still, I think Hong Kong can be a hub for them to export the uh, technology or basically uh, see how to integrate that together with the uh, Chinese market because I think this is really what uh, Hong Kong uh, has been good at doing and then it will be, uh, you know, continue to be uh, quite well uh, in the future as well. And for Israel, I think this is one of the attractive points um, uh, from Hong Kong and for Hong Kong, the other way around, it's really about how to learn from uh, like uh, Israel on this um, uh, quite a good uh, startup scene. And it's okay. quite, a, quite an ab- agnostic when it comes to doing business. <laughs> yeah. The Israelis yes. will do business with everybody. Okay, well, we'll have to hold that uh, for a moment because uh, we've got to take a, a short break for the news summary. Um, we'll be back at three minutes past. Uh, we're talking about uh, Chief Executive John Lee's uh, trip to the Middle East and potential for uh, greater economic cooperation between the two regions going forward. Uh, quick look at the weather now. It's going to be mainly cloudy and foggy with one or two rain patches. Uh, sunny intervals during the day. Top temperature around 25 degrees. Light to moderate east-southeasterly winds. The outlook, winds strengthening from the north and becoming much cooler tomorrow. It's 21 degrees now, humidity 96%. Without considering too much about the restriction. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back to Back Chat with Mike Rouse and me, Jim Gould. And we're going to continue our discussion now about uh, potential for greater economic cooperation between uh, Hong Kong and the Middle East uh, following uh, John Lee's uh, trip last week, leading a large delegation from Hong Kong to uh, Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates. Uh, we have with us uh, Gary Ung, Senior Economist uh, with uh, Natixis, and Rita Lee, Associate Professor with the Hong Kong Xu Yan University's Department 
of Economics and Finance. Uh, if you want to get in touch, join the conversation, you can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or you can give us a call on 233-88266. By the way, for the last part of the programme this morning, we're going to be talking about the uh, Hong Kong Trailwalker, which is uh, ha actually happening this month after a three-year suspension because of the pandemic. Um, I have an email here from uh, Marcus. Uh, sorry, not e email. It's on our Facebook page. It says, uh, why does John Lee keep telling... Uh, uh, why, why does he keep saying that uh, Hong Kong has absolutely no restrictions when, in fact, you can get a $5,000 fine for not wearing a mask and pupils have to take daily RAT tests? This kind of uh, relates to something that you were saying in your column this morning, your newspaper column, Mike, because there's been a lot of focus, obviously, on the tourism industry um, with the Hello Hong Kong uh, campaign, which has been launched. Yes, I, I have a very extreme views on mm. the, these... Oh, don't be too extreme. Please. ...various restrictions. Yeah. I think we should scrap them all right. by lunchtime today. Right. And then, okay. <laughs> because okay. it does leave... I mean, I had calls from overseas mm. um, because the press conference specifically mentioned this point about you need to do an RAT before you board the plane mm. to Hong Kong. Mm. Um, and, to, and someone was contrasting this with the statement that mm. the restrictions have ended. And is it, can it be true? Um, I was asked. Mm. And the answer is, I, I didn't believe it, but I checked the record. And yes, it was stressed at the press conference. Mm. But when I came back from uh, the UK, no one asked me a no, check in. Nobody checks. Uh, yeah, no. exactly. And then I was told, oh, it's an honours system. Volu it's voluntary. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'm not yeah. the best person to ask about yeah. honour. Yeah. So. Left it at that. Okay. Okay. Um, um, uh, uh, Gary Young, yes. Um, we have talked to quite a bit on this programme about the tourism industry, uh, as mentioned just there. Um, do you think uh, this trip to the Middle East at all could be a help there? I mean, obviously, most of the tourists coming to Hong Kong uh, have, uh, in recent years, been from the mainland or Southeast Asia. But is there potential there in the Middle East to give our tourism industry a, a, a boost? I think uh, at least for now, I also hold an uh, even more extreme view that, you know, all these uh, measures should be removed immediately, right. maybe not even yeah. before uh, lunchtime. <laughs> but at least in this, I think in the short run, uh, definitely it's all still about the image of Hong Kong around the mm -hmm. world. So mm -hmm. even though if uh, Johnny uh, decided that, like he want to uh, go to as many places as possible, but still when people actually come and, you know, face this still, um, you know, uh, uh, like existed, uh, you know, uh, measures, then I think people will still uh, go back and tell uh, others that, well, Hong Kong is reopening, but, you know, um, it's not fully reopened. So I think it is really a, a question of this, uh, you know, reputation and image. But I think from the longer term, in terms of the market share, I think it really depends on, you know, whether, uh, uh, like, um, um, Hong Kong will continue to be a hub for um, basically a lot of this, you know, Middle East uh, businessmen to actually travel to Hong Kong and increasingly to China or to other uh, places in the world because, um, of course, um, if there is a stronger business connection, then it's naturally there will be more interaction between uh, Hong Kong and the Middle East. However, if, uh, I mean, uh, Hong Kong still lacks this um, attractiveness in terms of, you know, leisure, tourism, etc., then maybe that potential may not be fully utilized to the, um, to the best. So, um, so 
So that's why I think it's still a good to explore new market. But whether this can completely, you know, offset a lot of this, uh, 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 like old market that we have, um, I think I will still wait and see to to be a little bit more, you know, conservative. There's two aspects to that, aren't there, uh, Carrie? Um, one is we have to dismiss the but, uh, which you referred to. It, it's sort of we're open, but um, <coughs> sort of uh, there are no restrictions, but. Etc. So we remove the butt first, and then second, there's going to be a time lag. People will want to see that those other measures have actually disappeared. There'll be a time before before they're confident that they're gone. Um, exactly. I think I totally agree with that because when I talk to um, uh, people overseas, uh, I mean, most of them are quite happy to visit Hong Kong, but there's also a lot of worries when they, you know, uh, think about it. I mean, now it's of course a lot better, but still, uh, we, we, if we talk about but, it's uh, basically uh, still uh, there. But I think uh, if we look at it from the uh, longer term perspective, I still think that um, Hong Kong will continue to be quite an important transit hub in uh, Asia simply because the uh, amount of uh, or like the uh, linkage of all these connections are probably still the highest in Asia. So naturally, if if there is uh, basically more connection of Hong Kong uh, versus the world, I still think that uh, uh, it will continue to be quite attractive aviation uh, hub simply because, I mean, there's a lot of things that may have changed in Hong Kong, but like we cannot change the location of Hong Kong right. and that's what makes it uh, like an important aviation hub. Geography's on our side. Professor Lee? Yeah. Uh, geography's on our side. The potential is there. Yeah, the potential must be there. Um, UAE and also Dubai, the kind of countries that they have actually a lot of money. <laughs> That's what we we always know. Like uh, actually, they attract a lot of uh, they 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 attract a lot of like um, uh, top uh, employees over there. Uh, just if, if you talk about like academics or academia, we have got a lot of the professors. They were attracted to go there to work because the salary is absolutely high. So uh, if we talk about like tourists, uh, this kind of tourists that they may bring some benefits to Hong Kong as well. And of course, uh, now that the boundary with the mainland is open, uh, that ought to help us a lot. Yeah, exactly. Because actually when, uh, when a lot of people that they come to Hong Kong, the main reason that they go to Hong Kong is that we have both the western and also the eastern side of the characteristics where Hong Kongers, a lot of us, that we can speak well in English. So uh, for UAE side, so, uh, if some of the tourists that come to Hong Kong, then they can also communicate well. So that part of the people, because like, some, quite a number of them, they are, they are actually foreigners. And then uh, so that uh, if we talk about like, uh, the potential, that must be there. Right. But of course, if you if you in the last seven days, you've been in a foreign country, then you still got to have some kind of covid test before you can go on into the mainland. Well, that is also one of the main concern of a lot of tourists, because uh, like, for example, one of my friends who came from uh, Thailand and then one day he tested me, oh, what? We still need to wear masks, <laughs> and then uh, and then uh, he also rushed for like the China's uh, the, the COVID test for mainland China because he would go to uh, he would go to China afterwards, and then uh, so that to a certain extent uh, that is uh, something for which that it is a short term problem, because uh, in the long run uh, we all know that all of these kind of like COVID pro- uh, COVID uh, boundary will be left, so this will only cause a short term uh, problem, I think. Well, let's hope so. And I must say, when my son went back uh, to the mainland, the first thing he did was take off his mask. 
Um, uh, <clears throat> Gary Young, um, Mr Lee has said, uh, John Lee, um, probably the next uh, uh, focus of attention for him would be the uh, ASEAN Nations, Association of Southeast Asian Nations, um, um, some of our <clears throat> neighbours around here. Uh, what's, the, what's the potential there like, do you think, for greater economic cooperation? Uh, sure, sure. Actually, I think if I need to compare the Middle East versus ASEAN, I think ASEAN indeed has a um, larger potential for Hong Kong because uh, the economic size is simply uh, uh, much bigger and traditionally there's also more uh, cooperation between Hong Kong and ASEAN uh, already. And I think this is also against this uh, massive uh, backdrop in terms of, you know, we have now a slower growth uh, in the Chinese economy, which uh, definitely will still grow. It is still massive, but it will not grow as quick as 30 years ago. But for ASEAN, uh, we start to see, you know, more uh, country basically start to uh, 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 see this um, uh, democratic um, uh, demographic uh, dividend in seeing more a uh, higher uh, working population, also the rising middle class. So it's really more like uh, it's diversified, but China maybe uh, 20 years ago. So as long as we start to see more uh, firms try to set up the factories and also uh, even if you look at the global supply chain, there are more factories switching towards ASEAN than as a trade hub. Hong Kong need to naturally uh, cater that because even for the financial industry, you always follow your client. Right. So if there's stronger connection, then I think naturally Hong Kong should um, step up to actually uh, uh, like um, seek the opportunities there because of uh, the macro environment is actually driving the uh, demand for Hong Kong to actually do that. Right. And of course, our, one of our major competitors worldwide is itself a member country of ASEAN. That's uh, Singapore. Singapore. Which yes, indeed. I think, of course, there are things that are, uh, I mean, um, well, Hong Kong is doing better. There's also other things that Singapore may be performing better. So I think for Hong Kong, it's kind of irreplaceable in terms of its large equity and also bond market. So I think these are really the business that it will still stay here. But of course, Singapore does have a natural advantage because if you are today need to ask for, you know, any uh, specialist speaking any art and language, it's probably much easier to find it in Singapore than Hong Kong. So, um, so, 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 I think um, it's an opportunity for Hong Kong, but also, uh, I mean, the competition will not be small, and it, it probably only intensify in the future. Yeah, and I always used to say that competition was good. Uh, Hong Kong lives and breathes competition. That's what we do. And if if Singapore didn't exist, we'd have to invent it, because we need someone to keep us on our toes. I think um, definitely because I think competition is really driving the improvement for you know all the uh, all, whether for firms or whether, whether for you know residents and and, and 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 anyone and I think Hong Kong is never you know um, like um, afraid of competition because I think it always exists from the um, like a fair beginning anyway and so it's really about whether Hong Kong can actually adapt to this new environment and face these new challenges in a more uh, agile way. Okay, okay. We're coming to the end of this part of the programme, but uh, Rita Lee, would you uh, just like to add to that about uh, um, how it's looking for Hong Kong, about our positioning as the, you know, the, the changes taking place in the world? Well, actually, the changes taking place in the world is like something that is uh, unavoidable. Mm. And then, however, we always see 
uh, whatsoever changes as a kind of like opportunities. Like uh, just like uh, when we say that, well, uh, when we have got like collaborative work between like uh, 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 Islamic world and also like uh, in Hong Kong, for example, uh, because like there are a lot of things like uh, uh, such as like bonds, op- uh, options, derivatives that they are forbidden in the Islamic finance. And then Hong Kong, however, we always have got this kind of trading. So um, I think that uh, even though that the changes like, take place, but then uh, it may bring in some of the opportunities. Just like uh, uh, Singapore, that is our uh, major competitor now. Uh, but then when we see that there is a, uh, when we talk about like the trade between like whatever parties, uh, we still see that there is uh, uh, there there are a lot of the opportunities uh, that exist. Uh, no matter what what sort of things that uh, if, say, for instance, if we just talk about like true. Uh, tourist uh, activities. Uh, well, in case of like uh, Singapore, they have got no mountains, for example, and then Hong Kong, we have got a lot of mountains. So that uh, if we talk about like just talk about tourism, for example, this kind of the tourism that it may take place as well. And then so that, that that's why that uh, uh, I would just say that we still have got a lot of, of opportunities uh, for this kind of like uh, business or whatsoever. Okay. Right. Well, thank you very much to both of you for speaking to us on the programme this morning. Uh, That was Rita Lee, an Associate Professor at the uh, Hong Kong Xuyan University's Department of Economics and Finance. And thanks very much to Gary Ng, Senior Economist with Natixis. And now for the last uh, 10 minutes or so of this morning's programme, we're going to switch our attention to a a big event that will be taking place here in Hong Kong uh, from uh, February the 24th to the 26th, and that is the Oxfam Trailwalker. Um, uh, anybody familiar with this will know that uh, it, it was an annual event for a long time. It's been uh, postponed, uh, 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 well, it's been put on hold for the past three years because of the pandemic and the problems of uh, getting large groups of people together. But um, um, now it's back. And we're joined by uh, Michael Wong, who's Director of Fundraising and Communications at Oxfam. Good morning to you. Morning. How are you? Uh, fine, thank you. Thanks a lot for joining us. Uh, uh, so um, this is the first time I think uh, in that I can remember certainly that uh, that the the event's been held uh, in February. Um, uh, uh, any particular challenges to doing it this month? Uh, yes, there is. Uh, firstly, um, the weather is uh, well unknown. Actually, we mm. we know that it's kind of like twenty degrees, which is okay, but the humidity is really high. So just like uh, the event yesterday, uh, we think that that would that might pose a challenge. Yeah. Um, and also, um, this time the uh, event was announced about uh, around October, November, which meant that a lot of people who wanted to join did not have sufficient time to train for a trail walker. Mm. So uh, that might pose another challenge because mm. it usually takes about well, uh, six to well six to eight months actually to to do the trail walker so that you can walk it properly mm. and comfortably. Mm. So yes. I think these are the challenges. Mm. Mr. Wang, will you revert <coughs> to the autumn timetable for future or is it, oh, are we now? You will. Later this yes. year or 2024? Yeah. yeah, we have actually planned it for November 24th to 26th of this year. Right. So, uh, so we'll go back to the normal November timing. Uh, but this year is exceptional because this February one is actually uh, postponed from, from 2022. Right. Yeah. What are the conditions that still apply here? I'm sorry to tiptoe on a sensitive area, but I believe the 
Participants in the marathon were told to wear their masks until it started and then to put them on again immediately as soon as they finished. What, what are the conditions for the trail walker? Uh, it would be the same. Um, so the masks are, mask are mandated still on from, uh, from the government. So we will request all the participants to put on the mask until they got the fin- uh, starting line uh, and then just uh, mask off until they finish the event. Right. So, um, How many yeah. teams are you hoping will take part this time? Uh, we are expecting about 400 teams uh, for this uh, uh, February uh, version. Yeah. That's pretty so, impressive, isn't it? Each team is, what, four, si- up four, to four, four, four actually uh, six, doing it? Yeah, but, four per person. So mm. there will be uh, 1,600 participants mm. uh, along the Michaels Trail. Yeah. And, and also uh, lots of uh, support networks as well, yes. right? Yes. yes. Yeah. Uh, we have uh, one about 1,500 volunteers who will be helping out throughout the trail. Mm. And also uh, each uh, team would probably have their own support team, yeah. friends and associates. Uh, yeah. Do the team... about maybe five or six of them. Mm. Do the teams team. have a reserve sort of running with them in case somebody gets injured? Uh, no, no, they don't actually. If somebody gets injured, then uh, the three of them... Or uh, we continue on. Right. Okay. What's yeah. your sort of target you have in mind this time? Um, target in terms of... Uh, Raising money. Oh, um, well, uh, what I'll say is in a normal year, we raise over $30 million uh, for, for the event. Uh, this year, uh, we are not sure, actually, because we are running at about uh, one-third of the usual amount, uh, of the usual number of participants. Right. So... Uh, uh, you can just do a projection, but actually we are not so sure. Right. And what, will there, is there any specific target where the money will go this time yes. around? Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, we have projects, uh, programs uh, in Africa, in China, in Asia, as well as Hong Kong. So, so the spread is about, uh, the normal spread is about uh, one third across the world, one third China and one third Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so that's, yeah, that's how we split them. T- Turkey won't come into it this time, or North Syria? Uh, uh, Turkey would definitely come into it. Uh, uh, we are still working on the allocation for uh, Turkey um, because this happened so suddenly. Yes, uh, but, uh, of yeah, But we have Oxfam in Turkey, so we are doing uh, a lot actually to help them with, uh, with the situation. Like you say, uh, so, so about 400 teams taking part this time around so would they be mostly local teams or have you got uh, teams from yeah. overseas coming as well yeah uh this time is all local teams but no. uh for the november edition we are actually uh going to invite our australian counterparts because they are oxfam trail walkers all across the world mm. and we are going to start off with inviting the australian winning teams to come over to hong kong for the november edition right mm. so what what sort of uh, take up are you hoping for from uh, in total for November. Oh, uh, for for the regular event is uh, the maximum capacity is one thousand three hundred teams. Uh, that's the limit uh, given mm. to us by the Agriculture and Fisheries Department. We mm. can't exceed that because of the capacity of the Michaels Trail. Mm. All right, and I suppose yeah. you wear and tear on the trail itself with that many people uh, running. Yeah, we we are very environmentally conscious, so we make sure that the people do not litter. Mm. They take care of their environment. Uh, in fact, uh, any supplies that we give to them, uh, like water and so on, we actually mark their team numbers on the 
on the thing, on the water bottle or the oh. banana or whatever we give to them. And then if we spot litter on the trail, we can actually identify which team did it. <laughs> and then, of course, we'll give them a, a well, a friendly advice on not to do it again. <laughs> so that's an exceptional uh, effort in terms of logistics, isn't it? Uh, it is, but um, I, I mean, that's the only way that you can actually make people take this seriously, mm. <laughs> to make mm. them accountable. Mm. Yeah, but we have been doing that for many years now, so mm. so it's yeah. okay. Yeah, because because m- most of the time it is a, a, a it's, it's pretty big international event, isn't it? And and you know, I, I can recall uh, in past years there have been uh, teams, for instance, uh, from the, well military teams joining in as well. The yes. Gurkhas have been involved. Uh, uh, the PLA have been uh, involved in the yes. event, haven't they? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, do, w- could we be uh, seeing something like that? You know, later in the year in the November event. Uh, yeah, we are planning to make it uh, really international. And so our strategy is to start off with the Oxfam trail walkers across the world. There are mm. like 11 countries with Oxfam trail walkers. So we start with inviting those. We also start to invite our international participants. So uh, we will be talking a lot with the Hong Kong Tourism Board and all the government bodies to mm. get uh, international attention mm. for, the, for the Hong Kong edition of the event. For the one this time, later this month, have we got the Gurkhas and the PLA in this uh, one? No, no, we don't, uh, because uh, this one was in a, was organized in a relative in, rush. In a rush, yes. Yeah. 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 This is understandable. Yeah. I must yeah. say I, I admire the teams who take part. I, I have done the McElhose Trail, but I spent four days doing it. And I read, <laughs> read these times, sort of <laughs> 11 hours or something, and I'm like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. It's very yeah, challenging, uh, very demanding. Yes, yeah. it is. Uh, I've done it seventeen times. Um, wow! So and, and it's just a wonderful, wonderful uh, journey actually, yeah. because you get the support of all your friends. You get you meet all the volunteers who are so nice to you, mm. and and it's just a amazing accomplishment actually to do it in a team of four rather mm. than doing it individually. It's, it's totally different experience. Sure. And you also yeah, get teamwork. to see the full range of the fantastic scenery in Hong Kong. Yes, uh, it's amazing because you pass through the countryside and then you go into the city, uh, the land rock and all that, and then you go back into the countryside into the new territories. Uh, it's a wonderful experience. Um, just walking along it, I mean, it's, uh, it's so uh, comforting and so refreshing, actually. Sure. Sure. You're not so tired. Yeah, right, <laughs> but part of it's at night, isn't it? Yes, um, yeah, we, uh, we usually walk about 20-ish, 30-ish hours, and of course, uh, there'll be part <coughs> of it at night. What, yeah. what time is uh, we starting this year? Uh, we have three starts: eight, nine thirty, and eleven. Mm-hmm. So, right. Yeah. Um, so usually, the, actually, the difficult parts will be at night. Actually, the, mm-hmm. the stage three and stage mm-hmm. four, which is the more challenging parts, and and probably stage five as well, mm-hmm. uh, depending on your speed, of course. It's Needle Hill in there somewhere, isn't it? That's, that's, late, that's uh, yeah, stage seven. Needle Hill is in stage seven, mm-hmm. and uh, depending on the speed, you'll be up there like a uh, and that's getting towards the end of the trail as well. So you've, oh, you've yeah, already come about is, uh, 60 kilometres yeah. by the time you get there. And, yeah, it's uh, the it's second, a... uh, second hill. The last yeah. hill is actually Daimoshan, and then the second yeah. last yeah. is uh, Needle Hill. Yeah. Yeah. But Daimoshan, you, you walk up, don't you? It's sort of... Yes. It's still, yes, still, it's still pretty steep. I remember. <laughs> the, 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 um, um, the, the actual... Uh, the, it's a 100-kilometre course, isn't it? And, and yes. um, for a long time, it... 
it followed the whole of the the McElhose Trail. But now the the last section is uh, is diverted uh, a little bit, isn't it? Instead of going to uh, Perone Barracks in Tuen Mun, you end up in um, uh, uh, somewhere somewhere near yeah. uh, Yuen Long. Yeah. We have to change it because the Perun barracks was uh, demolished for something else, uh, so we have to change the route. Mm. But we are hoping in future to actually be able to bring it back uh, to the original Michael's Trail uh, sometime in the future. Is it a a university or a school or something? What's there now? Yes, uh, I believe there's a university right at the end of uh, Michael's Stage 10. Mm. Uh, Ling Nan, I think. Uh, yeah. No, I'd be, I'm not sure whether it's Jiyan or Jihoi or Xi'an. Uh, mm. I have to look that up. But mm. uh, they'll be actually looking at possibly having mm. that as an end point. Mm. Again, mm. which yes. I, the yeah, traditional... bring it back to its historical roots. Oh, okay. Yes, the traditionalists like it when you do something like that. Uh, yes, uh, especially the last part is flat. <laughs> a lot mm. of Macaulay's trails, stage 10, is just a long catch water. Yes. Yes, yeah, sure. Which is probably what you need after <laughs> nearly a hundred kilometres. Uh, no more, no more s- steep hills. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Great. So, um, yeah, uh, you mentioned that th- there are other Oxfam Trail walkers. Um, eleven other countries, eleven yes. other places. Uh, Australia, yes, right. you mentioned. Uh, Australia, I think, I think New the, Zealand, yeah. uh, the UK, Spain, yeah. France, India. Yeah. Korea, uh, Canada, yeah. uh, and the list goes on. Yeah. Are, are they all 100 kilometres? Um, they are experimenting with uh, versions of 50, 30, and so on. Uh, and and everything, all these other trail walkers is actually born out of Hong Kong's experience because right. we are such a big uh, fundraiser as well as uh, as well as bring a lot of uh, branding for Oxfam. Mm. Uh, and then in their own country, they find different ways of expressing this. Uh, for us, the core values of trail walkers, you're walking to elevate poverty, you walk in teams of four, and you don't give up on anyone. You you hold on to your team of four uh, as much as possible. And mm. and um, and it's a team effort as well as the effort of your support team who supports you. And of course, uh, everybody tries to uh, raise funds Poverty elevation. Yeah. So these are the essences that right. we try to bring across it, to all the trail walkers. Embodies a lot of values, mm. not, not um, just the physical yes. effort. Mm. Yes, uh, yeah. There's a personal challenge. Is you're also doing something for you're doing a great contribution to elevation of, cha- of poverty. So right. these are, and of course, you and your friends stick together. Uh, it's the bonding that's also very important. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well. Well. The the, the best of luck with uh, uh, this month's event. Uh, hope uh, all goes well. Thanks very much uh, for speaking to us uh, on the program. That was uh, Michael Wong, uh, director of fundraising and communications uh, with uh, Oxfam. And uh, just before we uh, have a look at the weather, one more uh, reader's message. Uh, uh, this from Ed in response to says in, in response to Mike's views, what Mike was saying earlier about uh, uh, mask mandates and so on, and should all be dropped by lunch time he said in response to mike's views it's not very extreme we're about 10 months behind the developed world okay thank you very I, much uh, I, met, I also notice our friends in singapore uh, we issued a statement extending the mask mandate for two weeks i think in less than 24 hours singapore scrapped the last of its mandate which was only on public transport <laughs> right okay oh uh, well okay i'm sure we'll hear uh, 
more about that. Um, thank you uh, very much to uh, all of our listeners. Um, uh, a quick look at the weather before we go to the brunch with Noreen. It's going to be uh, mainly cloudy, um, foggy with one or two rain patches, sunny intervals during the day, top temperature around 25 degrees, light to moderate east to southeasterly winds becoming moderate northerlies at night. The outlook, winds will strengthen from